Support for the game podcast is brought to you by StarCityGames.com, the world's largest independent retailer for Magic the Gathering singles and supplies and home for the best strategy content on the web. If you would like to support the game podcast, feel free to check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash the G-A-M podcast. Welcome to episode 90 of the Game Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson. Here with me is Brian, the calming, licit Gottlieb. I don't even remember what this card does, man. Uh, I don't know what exactly it does. It does weird stuff with timing and makes combat super awkward. I know that. But I just wanted to bring a nice, calming, soothing presence to the Magic community today. I feel like things have been kind of on edge and fiery and... You're welcome. I want to talk. (laughs) You certainly have a lot to do with it, but I just want to talk about magic cards for a little while and magic gameplay and decks and decisions and all the stuff we love. Get back to the core of the game for this podcast. I want to be a calming listen for the community right now. Dude, me too. I mean, I I want to do both. (laughs) You want to stir it up and get them all riled up and then calm them all down. Well, that's good. As long as you're just emotionally manipulating the masses. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> all at once that's that's fine with me i'm but doing it because it matters to it me. does look i i don't want to downplay that it matters to me as well but i also like talking about the meat and potatoes of magic the actual gameplay and i'm happy to have a chance to do that after a few days of just absolute uh vitriol and and fiery impassioned please with a lot of merit for sure uh over the past few days word magic is tight agreed okay so Couple Grand Prix last week. We were both in attendance at yeah. the same time at Grand Prix Los Angeles. Neither of us made day two. No, we did have good time spell slinging and meeting folks and hanging out. And you know, I, I got our auctions posted on Sunday, so that was good. If I was playing day two, I don't know how that would have actually happened. Right, a failure in terms of actually playing Magic for me. You had a failure of health, which equally crappy. But in terms of just like meeting fans of the podcast, making new fans of the podcast, hopefully it was an absolute slam dunk. We got to hang out with a bunch of patrons, you know, uh, Liam, Jacob, Matt Nelson. Everyone was around all weekend chatting with us. I went to a Deaf Heaven concert with Anthony from the Discord, just tons of patrons doing awesome stuff, talking about magic and having a good time. It was really uh, a nice thing to see on a day that would have been pretty crappy for me otherwise given my record but there was no crappiness to be had in la it was a great time i I was really pleased to meet everyone hey man you got the sleeves on camera i did i got that that feature match win i was telling someone the key to the feature match victory percentage is always get them in round one and two because i'm probably like five and oh in my last five feature matches i don't think i made day two at any of those tournaments but i kill those feature matches i look real good on camera well i got killed in mine and that was my one loss so uh, so you're on an opposite streak right now. I am an embarrassment. You played Turbo Fog. Uh, yeah. Not too many changes to your list. And you did write an article on SCG talking about your potential failures. I myself played a red-black aggro deck featuring Inventor's Apprentice, which I think is blank cardboard, probably. It looked like it a little bit. I got to see you play not all that much, but uh, and, and in fairness, you were in a mono red matchup. So 
I could see why it would fail to shine there, just given the sizings that you were facing and the chain whirlers and all that stuff. No, it's actually good there. What, why is it bad against Chain Whirler? It, it looked very blank in the match I saw you play. The feature match, essentially. Yeah, so the the feature match involved, like game one was me not drawing a fourth land. That is true. <laughs> that was gross. And then uh, my game three draw was also very, very awkward. But just like having one mana interaction against them is so good. You don't feel like it gets outsized on the board pretty quickly and becomes invalidated? It, it does, but against the wizard one, like... As Wizard long as you are very good. Yeah. 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 That, that's what I was playing against. He was, he was wizards with scrap heap. Oh, uh, so he just had the non wizard portion of his draw and the points I was watching. It, it was just like an army of chain whirlers beating you down. Essentially was what I saw. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I didn't really play a whole lot of spells. I don't, I don't think I had black man in that game either. That sounds correct. I think I remember just three mountains in play. Yeah. I, I mean, it basically comes down to like, who gets the most usage out of their mana, basically, and they're pretty well set up to do that. And Inventor's Apprentice gives you kind of a leg up in that fight. But yeah, I got beat pretty bad. So given all that, are you, would you Inventor's Apprentice again? I mean, you did declare it blank cardboard. Why the negative reviews if you think it oh, is a, a key no, card? No, I mean, I, I think... I think if there is one matchup where it is good, is it is against Wizard Red. I mean, obviously, it's good against like Control and Turbo Fog, which is basically why it's there but my buddy varo sent me a list it looked cool and i trusted him and i'll just never do that again that's fine <laughs> you get one chance one chance I'm, to earn my trust. i'm kidding i love varo and his decks are almost always good and like i said i you know i had a headache i i dropped it five and one like the the decks seemed fine to me it was just i lost every game one and mostly boarded out inventors apprentices and then my deck was great so that's weird Talk to us about about why you were losing game ones. What changed in post-board games? Well, one of the cool things about the deck was that it had three Karns main deck, and Karn was basically just a threat. It was this minus machine because you didn't have the tools to necessarily play this control game. And I got to beat up on some people with constructs, which is sweet. And in the post-board games, you get to save a bunch of sideboard slots by having this engine card already in your main deck. So game one, it was like, all right, I'm just going to make constructs because that is basically all my deck can do. And then post board, it was just this card drawing machine that was awesome. Mm. So you have to play a little bit weaker, aggressive game in game one. But the payoff is when game two comes and you switch to a bigger plan, you already have the tools you need in your main deck. It's it's kind of like elephant building where you're right. not super pleased about card in game one. You just have to use it to make constructs. But in games two and three, it's really able to shine. Yeah, I mean, if I could go back and, and change things, I would probably just assume that my control matchups were fine. I had Doomfall on the sideboard, which is kind of a necessary evil at this point for Torrential Gear Hulk and its additional duresses against Turbo Fog. And the Inventor's Apprentices themselves, just as a clock, are probably not entirely necessary. So I don't know that you could get away with actually main decking Karn in that sort of build, but given how my matchups against a more normalized uh, red-black deck and this, like, Sultai Hadana's Climb deck I played against, basically just, like, Black-Green Snake. I mean, Karn as a sideboard option is very, very insane because people are ready to deal with Chandra and they're ready to deal with Rekindling Phoenix. People have figured out that you're not supposed to cast Goblin Chain Whirler in the mirror, basically, because of Rekindling Phoenix. Like, you save it until you can abrade the Phoenix and then Chain Whirler the backside and... Your chain whirler is almost certainly just going to die anyway, so you just want to save it until you get value. 
And that means that the previous Trumps that you had are no longer Trumps. And for Nationals, I went back to Hazaret because of that. But I think Karn is just the better option, assuming that you also have the tools to keep their board clear. So I, that was leads to my next question. I was going to ask what you gave up in order to get Karns into your deck. And it sounds like Hazaret was the card that no longer made the cut. Yeah, I was not playing Hazaret anymore. Uh, the deck that I played had three Karn, two Phoenix, two Chandra, I believe. Mm-hmm. Or may, maybe it was only six four drops. Like my deck was pretty light. And no Glorybringers, correct? No Glorybringers main. I only played one in the sideboard. I mean... I, I do think that Glorybringer is quite good, but getting to five mana isn't trivial. And you were playing a lighter land count than most decks, I'm assuming? I had 24. and Typical I mean, is 25 I, I, now. Yeah, I, I could have played a 25th in the sideboard or whatever, but instead of playing that and two Glorybringers, I just decided to keep it light, only play the one, because if you draw one per game, eventually you're going to get to five mana and that's fine. Like You can have a dead card until like turn six or so, turn six, turn seven, and have it be fine, but... When your hand starts clogging up with all these expensive cards, that's when you start falling behind and start losing games. Right, right. Like we saw when you were on camera. Yeah. I think going forward, I will have a pretty good red black list, which is probably pretty convenient for our listeners as it is RPTQ weekend coming up. Yeah, and I think I will be doing some of that as well. I am not qualified for RPTQ weekend because I uh, don't play PPTQs, but... There's the last chance qualifier. I was going to say, dude, if you're not playing, I'm going to make you play. It's five minutes from my house. I, I will certainly play. I, that is my ideal situation. It's at Mox Boarding House, which as I've talked about on the show a bunch of times, fantastic store. Love it. Love going there. They have air conditioning and plenty of seating. Air conditioning, yes. They are in uh, a smoky abyss like the rest of Seattle is right now. So I will happily go inside and you know play a little bit of magic. And I may be playing red black there's only two decks i'm considering <gasps> only two decks i'm not i didn't say i was i said i may be i will either play red black or i will continue to play turbo fog i do still believe the deck is good if you read my article i think i just messed some stuff up and yeah. i know how to fix that going forward so i i wouldn't be unhappy playing the deck again certainly did efro's deck or uh his success inspire you at all I mean, you look at his deck, he has a copy of Dissenter's Deliverance and two Manglehorns in his sideboard. It seems like he was fairly ready for Sorcerer's Spyglass, even if it was just accidental. Yeah, well, I talked about this a little bit in my article. If you look back at the earliest builds of this deck, you know, Dave Williams' build at the Pro Tour, he had four Manglehorn in the sideboard. Like, they were prepared for artifacts he also had two cleansing nova ephra also has a cleansing nova in his sideboard there was ample answers to sorcerer spyglass and i don't know what went on in my thought process but i was just like nah, i don't need these anymore i'll i'll just rely on these other cards and i left myself so cold it was crazy yeah it's because you look at it and you see it as a mono blue hate card right I think, I think that's what I did. Specifically when there were four Manglehorns in the list, I was like, well, what is this really coming in against? And if you look at main decks, you can make that conclusion fairly successfully. Like Manglehorn is fine against red black. You're, I don't think you're ever excited about it, but it does a job. It, it's getting work done. But it seemed like as far as main decks go, it was specifically targeting mono blue and I scaled back, but that failed to consider the presence of Sorcerer's Spyglass. And honestly... There's not enough Sorcerer's Spyglass being played right now. There should be far more copies than I currently see. It is almost strictly better in the matchup than Insult Injury. Yes. Yes. I 
if you take nothing else away from this cast, I hope you realize that if you are playing red black and you have insult injury in your sideboard, you are wasting slots on a far, far less efficient card. It is much more problematic for the Turbo Fog deck to deal with Sorcerer Spyglass. And it's much better in other matchups, too. You're able to get more value out of it. So switch to Sorcerer Spyglass. I don't think you'll be disappointed. Insult to Injury just isn't that big of a deal. Like, it's not hard to play around. I mean, I kind of disagree with that. I just think it's too narrow. And you played Settle the Wreckage. Efro had Settle the Wreckage. I imagine that other people are going to move more towards that as well. Right. And there's also things like Lyra where insult doesn't really do a whole lot against that. So I don't think it is easy to play around, uh, you know, similarly to the glory bringer thing. I think it's, it's overstated how easy it is, but regardless, I do think that sorcerer spyglass is just better in the matchup because in games where, you know, you maybe you have like 10 power in play and they have a bunch of fogs. Well, if you spyglass there to fairy, they don't have a card drawing engine. Or if they don't have Teferi and they have uh, Transform, Search for His Cancer or whatever. Like, you get the Spyglass to shut off their engine and then they'll just run out of fogs. Like, you don't need to kill them on turn five, turn six or anything. Right, right. They will die eventually without their engine working. It is essential to have one of those pieces generating card advantage. And if you don't have it, you you cannot win the game. It's not possible. So right. multiples of Sorcerer Spyglass also stack really well. You know, if, if you're worried about removal and... They have a handful of Teferi. You can put multiples on Teferi. You can also hit the Karn. You can hit the Ascon the Sunken Ruin. All of these are very good options, very useful in the matchup. I, I think it is funny. We talked about this a little bit where I was debating between Black Blue Midrange and then this Red Black deck. And both of my lists, I ended up sneaking a Sorcerer Spyglass into the sideboard of. And it's just like, obviously, people are going to do that, right? Like, yeah. we, we should have known that. But Spyglass is so versatile against everything else. From the red-black side of things, you can bring it against black-blue and, and cold their Scarab God. And against the various blue-white and Esper decks, you can still use it to good effect against Teferi. And I mean, if you're playing mono-green or uh, green-black, I think playing multiple Sorcerer Spyglasses is probably your better, best option. Like, Scrap Peep Scrounger is so much better than the other two drops. I don't know. It, just, it doesn't seem worth it to me to forego Scrap Heap for the blue splash for counter spells to try and stop turbo fog when you can just play multiple spy glasses spot on. Yeah. It, it's, I, I like the blue plan in theory as a way to counter all this stuff that's going on, but it's just not necessary. You are able to efficiently deal with turbo fog via spyglass unless they're making appropriate concessions. Now, something like Efro's list, I do think he has a lot of ways to prepare He's got Cleansing Nova, which is fantastic in that matchup. Uh, you'll find yourself beat up by that card a lot if you're relying on Sorcerer Spyglass as opposed to Counter Magic. That's true. But on the whole, unless you're playing specifically against Efro's decklist, I, I just believe you're way better off in that scenario. You're not better off with Spyglass than Counterspells, but from the red-black side of things, you're certainly better off with Spyglass compared to Insult Injury. I don't, I don't know that I would authoritatively say you're not better off. Like there is there is counterplay to counterspells. You can set up situations where you're able to get around them. If they get the explosive start and force you into a corner, certainly it can be the death knell. But on the whole, having this kind of go longer plan, being able to shut down their engine just seems like the cleaner way to answer them. And one that Absolutely. they're one that they're less likely to be prepared for. And there's just the value in other matchups. That's the thing you can't take away is you get to use it in many, many matchups. 
Yeah, agreed. Spyglass is awesome. Mm-hmm. If if I were playing red black, I would almost certainly have two in my sideboard this weekend. Same Z's. I would also pack two Spyglass and be very happy about it. And if I was playing a green variant, I would probably have three Spyglass. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I mean, especially if you're green with no blue cards, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. You're incentivized much more if you're not playing blue. Yeah, and even from the black-blue mid-range side of things, one Spyglass is pretty nice. I mean, you get to bring it in against red-black and their three-ish copies of Chandra, and maybe you can tag a Heart of Kirin with it too, but it's just another value add against Teferi decks. Do you think that if this was Pithy Needle, it would see more play than it currently does? Not saying it would be either right or wrong, but just on the fact that it is a card with historical precedent and people would be like, oh yeah, you can definitely play multiples of Pithy Needle, that's fine. Whereas they've been slower to adapt Sorcerer's Spyglass because it's something new. I don't know. When Spyglass came out, I thought that it was overplayed for what it was. I think that people look at Turbo Fog and they're like, oh, I just, I got to stop the fogs, you know? And it, it's literally got fog in the name, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> but if you play the the actual matchup, if you sit down and test and you try out Spyglass against them, it's like, oh man, like this card is actually nuts. Yep. It becomes very quickly evident. I, I don't know. I get the sense that if this was Pithy Needle as opposed to Spyglass legal in the format, there would be a lot more decks with two and three Pithy Needles in the sideboard, just on historical precedent. No, nah, I don't think so. I think Spyglass tricks people into thinking that it's better than it is because you get to look at their hand. No, no one cares about that anymore. Like that's that's the most Bush League stuff. That maybe is exciting people in the small local tournaments but for actual people who are planning out very cohesive sideboard no one is being drawn in by the peak at the hand i agree i mean the the top five percent doesn't care right but it is definitely those middling percentages that tend to put maybe not an extremely higher value on it but there there's definitely some amount of oh well i just can't miss on this card because i'll get to look at their hand and they they actually view looking at their hand as you know, something that might be worth half a card or whatever. And it's just not. No, it is not. I do remember having that mindset in like 1994 and 95 and playing Glasses of Urza in all of my permission decks. You had to have Glasses of Urza. How are you supposed to play the game without seeing your opponent's hand? It was impossible. Yeah. How, how would you be able to decide what to counter or not? Right. And, you know, you need to make sure you play your millstone at the right time. All these things are important. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> Things are different now, obviously. Pretend that Spyglass is a needle they cost to you and it doesn't look at their hand and evaluate it that way. Yeah, I mean, it looks much worse in that context. But you think about how powerful the cards it's naming are. Something like Teferi is an incredibly powerful usage for that card. And you're very happy to trade your two mana for all of their potential five mana down the road. Uh, You're getting very good removal value there. Yeah, absolutely. And... It's not like these decks have great engines outside of Teferi. Like Teferi is the driving force in Blue-White Control and Esper to some degree, and certainly in Turbo Fog. And yes, they have Search for Iskanta as a backup option, but it is mainly Teferi. Yeah, I think especially in the case of the non-Turbo Fog decks, Turbo Fog can still take all the turns just on the back of a search. That's very plausible. You can get to that point of inevitability. But I, I think the non-Turbo Fog decks are super reliant on having a Teferi in play. Yeah. 
And I mean, I'm not going to say Borden lost legacy or whatever, because that sort of card has its own set of issues. But yes, I mean, spy, if they if they play Teferi and even have it active for a couple turns, you can still draw the spyglass at some point and have it be great. You know? Yeah, absolutely. So play more spyglasses. Uh, there's zero reason to play with the card insult injury with you. I think my deck uh, unless I decided that for whatever reason, the wizard deck was the answer, which I think it is very good. I just, you know, don't necessarily think that it is better than normal red black. Hmm. And it has more vulnerability, right? Like it's, it's easier to set up your deck to kind of exploit the wizard red matchup. Right. But I don't think people are doing that right now. Not yet. But if you look at the top eight from Providence, there is a very good case to be made that maybe it's time to start making those kind of moves. Yeah. And I mean, you could say that Providence only had 700 people. It's like a glorified, you know, PPTQ or FNM or whatever, where these results maybe don't matter as much. But I, I think they do. Like, I, I think it goes to show that that deck is more real than people probably give it credit for. I think so, too. And it was a smaller field, but the fields in the Northeast are very skilled fields. I wouldn't take anything away from the people who succeeded in this tournament. I'm sure they faced many, many difficult and skilled players along the way, despite the size of the tournament. Yeah, I can agree with that. The only thing I really disagree with uh, in Logan's deck is probably the third copy of Chandra. And I'm not sold on these Soul Scar mages. And I would not mind a third heart and a third Pia. So talk a little bit about kind of your philosophy in building red black right now. Like, why are you into those changes? Do you think you just need more early pressure? Is that what you're looking to accomplish? Do you think soul scar has reached a point where it's just not doing enough any longer? There's not enough big bodies in the form of mono green or even Lyra's floating around at this point that you really have to routinely shrink. I think it's just very, very medium. Certainly having an extra early play does help you a little bit against control, but is it actually better than having, like ensuring that you have a two drop? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, your deck has 11 spells in pre-board games, right? So it's so rare that it's getting any kind of boost. You really need to be taking advantage of the minus one, minus one counter clause to have any reason to be playing Soul Skarmage, short of just pure curve considerations. Like I maximized my mana on this turn. And maximization of mana per turn, like Paul Sly style, is not something that's kind of as in vogue as it used to be. Uh, It's less you have to specifically hit all of these drop points, and that's how you win the game. It's more about the power level of your cards as the game goes on, making me less inclined to really look for this one drop to be present. I think you can get by just fine without Soul Soul Scar Mage if you don't have bodies you have to shrink. Yeah, I agree with that. And... It's not like you absolutely need this card against the green decks from mm. the red-black side of things. Obviously, it helps, but there are got to be games where you just don't draw Soul Scar Mage and red-black still has a, if not like close matchup against the green decks, uh, maybe even like a favorable one. Right, and it's not like you can't play another card that's fine in that matchup, but does more for you. Uh, you know, on a third unlicensed disintegration is fine. Like you said, an additional Chandra could be fine, or you know, any well, kind. I, of, I want to cut a Chandra. Oh, you want one Chandra down? I'm sorry. A- any kind of form damage removal spell or unconditional removal spell, such as unlicensed disintegration, cut. Even the Heart of Kirin, you can argue as a efficient blocker, if need be, a way to play both sides, offense and defense, has a lot of appeal in that matchup. 
So lots of other ads you can make and sure up any kind of big body concerns you might have. Well, I guess what might end up happening is I play a third rekindling Phoenix also, and then you just have more flyers. Right. So probably also be, uh, excellent against mono green. Right. Yeah. So you end up with more flyers and maybe an extra spot removal spell. And I think that's probably good enough. And I'm, I'm kind of typing out a list right now and I like it. I like how it looks. Well, give us some spoilers. What's what's going on in the list? Let us know. I mean, it's basically just what I talked about. Four Bowmats, Scrap Heap, Chain Whirler, three Heart, two Carry, three Pia, three Phoenix, two Chandra, two Glorybringer, two Cut, two Unlicensed, three Abrade, 25 Land. I think that leaves me with one open slot. And I only have seven big cards, so it's probably another four drops. Either I play a Karn main or a third Chandra, but I think Chandra's really, really bad in the mirrors. So... I don't know. So do you intend, if if you go with one car in main, do you intend to play additional copies in the sideboard? Two copies in the sideboard? Like, are, are you oh, a yeah. three Karn guy now? You believe it's the key to a lot of these matchups that you're going to be facing? I think it is as long as you have enough interaction, enough spot removal. And I think that since the, the format is effectively Teferi decks and creature decks, and once you have however many Duresses, Doomfalls, Spyglasses you want, the rest can just be removal spells. Right, right. I get that. You're going to have Chandra's Defeats and Magma Sprays, Cut Ribbons, whatever, yep. and then the Doomfalls are split cards, basically. Can you talk to me a little bit about your theory in sideboarding for the Mirror? I know plans are all over the place. We touched on this a little bit last week, but now that you're on this Karn plan, what are you bringing in? What are you bringing out? What do you want your deck to look like in post-board games? I mean, obviously you have to cut Bowmat Courier. Yeah. I think Sam Black made a good point where Pia is much better on the draw than it is on the play because it's more likely that they play their Chain Whirler on three and then they just they don't get to eat your token for free. But I don't know. If you play Pia and they play Chain Whirler and then your follow-up is Rekindling Phoenix, I think you get the better end of that exchange. You know, It makes it so much harder for them to actually kill the Phoenix. So. Mm-hmm. I don't think I would necessarily be siding out Pia or like holding it on turn four or anything. Chandra is okay, either play or draw, but there are just too many situations where you can play it and minus it and then just lose it to a chain whirler, or you play it plus it, use a removal spell, and then you just lose it to Chandra's defeat, which they basically don't have any other good targets for. It's just, it's so bad a lot of the time, but I could even see especially against opponents who are boarding in more grindy stuff where Chandra is just actually good. Yeah, as as this plan catches on, it becomes better to be bigger and have more access to card advantage. Right, but it depends on how they treat the matchup and how they're playing. I mean, it's it's kind of weird where if they are happy to run out Chain Whirler on three, even though they don't have a second Chain Whirler, then you know your, your Chandra's and your Phoenix's get a little bit better because they're a little more resilient. And then it's like, well... Maybe I can play the control game and try and slow them down, and hopefully they will just not get maximum usage out of their cars, and everything will be good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think it's pretty easy. It's just you have Bowmats to cut, and then where do you go from there? Uh, if you're playing three Heart of Kieran, I can see cutting one because they have so much interaction post-board that it's pretty easy for them to just strand your heart, and you don't really want to draw multiples of it anyway. But Hazaret is good, but worse in post-board games where you're sitting on mostly reactive stuff. And I would definitely be prepared to 
try and play around them playing Soul Scar and Chandra's defeat in the same turn to kill your Hazrat. So right. you might have to wait until you have your own defeat or Magma Spray open or something. Okay, good tips. And Glorybringer's fine. It's probably going to die to a lot of Chandra's defeats, but whatever. Yeah, when it lives, it's just so impactful. You're willing to take that risk. Yep. Yeah, I think Karn and a pile of removal. Karn is basically untouchable unless you're super far behind. Why do you think we haven't seen widespread adoption of Karn up until this point in the archetype? I mean, you said it was very clear to you that it it found success immediately. I was using this game plan in white-black against red-black. I don't know. For, for a while, it just seemed like the decks were maybe like a little too aggressive, and now they have slowed down and just become more grindy, more mid-rangey. But at the same time, we have something like Wizards Red, which has accelerated the pace dramatically as far as red decks go, or, or nearly mono-red, you know, the mono-red deck splashing Scrap Heap Scroungers, which wasn't really present on this weekend, but has made its presence felt in the metagame for sure. So there are a mm-hmm. couple decks looking to get lower to the ground as other decks escalate the arm race. It's kind of this fascinating back and forth that's going on between the red decks. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure if anything necessarily has to change to i mean logan has three magma sprays three chandra's defeats so he has a ton of early removal for the the hyper aggressive red decks which Mm. i like Mm -hmm. i think that he just incidentally had a pretty good matchup against them whereas i might normally try and shave on those cards to uh hedge a little bit against the green decks but maybe that's just wrong I mean, given representation across these two top eights, you have to argue that it was at least wrong on this weekend. Yeah, I don't even really remember seeing that many green decks around me when I was playing. No, I rarely saw it as well. I mean, I know Andrew Beckstrom was near the top tables with uh, green splash blue, but really that's the only stories of any green success I was hearing throughout the weekend. Yeah, he got ninth, I believe, in L.A., Uh, And then, yeah, I mean, it is just a sea of Teferi and red-black decks. Right, right. 50% Chain Whirler decks, the general read on the metagame right now. Again, probably approaching problematic levels. I am looking forward to rotation. I'll say that. I want to see where things go. But on the whole, it, it doesn't have that same kind of like draggy feel that a really dominated format has because... The games are interesting for the most part. The red decks do have diversity, even if they're trying to kind of accomplish the same thing through very similar means. They do feel different in the matchups. Like it feels very different playing playing against mono red Flame of Keld than it does playing against red black or even nearly mono red. Absolutely. And that is something that I would like to see more in Magic where you might be playing against the same color with some of the same cards, but the games play out so much differently. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's uh, an effect of if you were to look at a color which is least reliant on the signature Planeswalkers, I would argue it's probably red, only Chandra really having a dominant role there. So there's much more diversity in the lower side of the curve, and it's not just always, okay, we build up to these best unassailable threats, and that's where things lie. There's value in going low, there's value in going high, and it's a nice kind of back and forth that the metagame adjusts within archetypes, not just by changing archetypes, but within the archetype, there's also a constant ebb and flow. Yeah, and I mean, that's kind of what we're talking about, right? Where how good is unlicensed disintegration? Can we get away with just splashing scrap heap scroungers? Should we play all four soul scar mages? Because there's a lot of green and a lot of control. And 
do you need a braid or can you play lightning strike? Things like that. I mean, they, they do fundamentally alter a lot of things from both like the matchups and how the actual games play themselves. Right. And that's where the puzzle is being solved right now. Kind of different from other standard formats, but that's cool. It's nice to have a different puzzle to work on. Yeah. And now we're we're in a world where cut is very, very playable. Right. Where it's almost no play for probably a couple months. I mean, almost years, right? Like it, it is seen very little play considering how good that card is just in general. Yeah, it was it was around a bit in Mardu um, here and there. I know early on in its printing, it was widely adapted by Mardu, but certainly between those two bookends of the format now and going back earlier, it definitely sat on the bench for a long time. Dude, you know how good your cuts are when you have Karn in your deck? Why do they get particularly better? Because Karn plus wanting just makes you hit all your land drops. Well, that's true, yeah. Never missing a land drop definitely makes cut. Uh, fire on all cylinders, for sure. Or should yeah. I say ribbons fire on all cylinders? Yes. Nice little added bonus. Sure. Very, very easy to close games once you actually got a couple chip shots in. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've always liked that out of the aggressive decks. I, I loved it in Mardu. I thought it was, even when it was widely adopted, it kind of had moments of ebb and flow. I thought it was fantastic in that deck. Such a good closer where they had a lot of problems getting those last few points through in certain configurations and certain matchups, Ribbon solved a lot of those problems. Yeah, one other thing is I had uh, a single copy of Walking Ballista in my deck just to up the artifact count a little bit. And I literally never drew it, but it is another one of those things where it does work really well with Karn. Sure, for multiple reasons. Yeah, but this is like the worst the card has been. Everything has two toughness, and that's mostly because of Chain Whirler. Chain Whirler, yeah. Interesting kind of game going on there as far as sizing and when Ballista is good. That was the card of standard for a period of time, but as the X1s have been pushed out, so has Walking Ballista. Yep. So the the dream was always there. Where it's like, oh man, I have ten mana. Where's my one walking ballista? You know, just completely take over this game. But well, it's nice to have a live top of the deck. You know, yeah, for sure. But I, I would definitely not play it going forward. Okay, so you you set a good framework for me leading into this weekend. Certainly, I will bust out my mono reds, my red blacks, all of these various red builds, and get some games in before the weekend comes. We'll see if it's enough to talk me off of my beloved proxy mountains that I got to play with, which were so, <laughs> so beautiful. Yeah, I'm, I'm telling you, man, get those graded. I should. I should. Oh, I meant to give them to you so we could send them out to our patrons. I think that would be a really cool thing for people to have. That would be I'll cool, do that. actually. Yeah, we'll meet up. I'll make sure those get into your hands so we can send them out. When is the uh, LCQ? Is it Saturday? It is Saturday, yeah. yeah and then the, actual, be, right? yeah, the actual tournament is on Sunday. Okay. I'm going to be in Vancouver this weekend hanging out with the Fungasaur. I don't know who the Fungasaur is, but it sounds delightful. I'm assuming you'll have like a rod of ruin and be pinging him throughout the weekend. (laughs) Uh, His name is Jeff Fung. Okay. He has a Pro Tour Top 8 to his name from the 1980s. (laughs) The early days of magic. That's very cool. Uh, Vancouver is my favorite city in the world, so I am jealous. You get to go visit raccoons and do awesome stuff. Well, uh, unless it's on fire. Hopefully it's not. But Yeah, I don't know what the situation is up there. Hopefully it's better than it is here in Seattle right now. Well, if if we weren't playing red-black, it would probably be mono-red or turbo-fog, I guess. You can make arguments for Esper Control or black-blue mid-range. 
not buying Esper Control still. I do think there is an argument to be made for Black Blue mid range, but I mean, maybe we should talk about this. That was your plan going into this weekend. You told our listeners you were planning on playing Black Blue Control. What happened? How did you get off of Black Blue Control? What made you say, nope, this isn't the right deck for me? I played some practice games that took 40 minutes. <laughs> I did watch you spell sling and it was just you and I look across and it was the same person every time I looked across. Your games were yeah. ceaseless, never ending. Yeah. And that, that was enough for you? That was enough to disqualify the deck? If I'm expecting to play against... Okay, so Red Black is close. I think yes. around the time of SCG Con, the matchup was slightly in Black Blue's favor. And now that the decks have gotten a little bit more aggressive, and I guess they've been like cutting Doomfalls and stuff, so I don't know. Maybe maybe it is fine still, but regardless, that matchup is dicey at best. That is definitely not a deck that you should play if you expect to play against 70% red-black. Mm-hmm. And even the good matchups, the decks that you're supposed to smash, the control decks, the Turbo Fogs, like, the games just take too long. You run a huge risk of actually accumulating draws. Right. And all of your games are close. You're on a razor's edge all the time. You can never slip up for a moment. Not that you should be attempting to slip up into any deck you're playing, but the pressures are particularly high with black-blue mid-range to play perfectly and to do so over an extended period of time throughout the day. Props to Edgar. Edgar, I mess up your last name every time. Malgahees, I think, is as close as I can get it, who pulled out a top eight with black-blue mid-range. I love this style of magic, but you you couldn't talk me into this deck right now. I just don't think the positioning is there. I think you're playing a lot of 48% matchups. Edgar probably played them very well and got himself a nice finish, but not for me, passing for this weekend, for sure. If it was on Moda, I would have snapped it off. I, I don't think that black-blue mid-range is a great choice or anything. I just think that the cards are pretty reasonable. They do line up pretty well in the format. You have some matchups that are very, very much in your favor, very polarizing. And then you have some others that are pretty bad. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, it's a magic deck, whatever. It's not playing Teferi or Chandra, which is certainly problematic. Yep. You have, feels a little weird right now. You have the Scarab God, which is definitely not even the third best mythic or whatever you could probably maybe call it like the third best engine mythic but it is third by a drastic margin right right much worse than the other two i I don't know i i think nickel bolus in theory should do a lot to help that archetype for closing speed but the mana's not great i don't know i i don't have enough reps in to really comment on the mana all of my games were very early in the format with very unrefined lists i have to believe there's a way to make it work it's certainly beneficial as far as closing speed goes. It's also just very good. It is a very good card, and it's kind of baffling how little play it's seen. It just doesn't have a good home right now. The mana is too much. You see, in basically all of these Grand Prix, there's some random Grixis deck that it got ninth and 10th in Providence. There was one copy in Top 8 in Los Angeles. It very quietly does well, and these are the the psycho... Grixis decks with, you know, an even spread of all three colors, right? Right, right. And I just want to play three Nickel Bolas in my black-blue deck and play six of the the dual lands, the the check lands, the buddy lands, whatever you want to call them. I'm, and, I'm, looking, I'm looking at this Grixis list from GPLA right now. Torrential Gear Hulk, Rekindling Phoenix, Isareth the Awakener, Nickel Bolas, 
Chandra, Liliana, just all the double costed cards you could ever possibly play. Four of Raska's Contempt. There's six, 61 sweltering, cards too. Sweltering Suns and 61 cards. Who are these people who are succeeding with these Grixis decks? So so this is Mitchell Tamblin. I almost teamed with him for a Pro Tour. Okay. So obviously a very good player. Mm-hmm. And I think you would have to be to overcome some of the mana requirements that he is asking for from his deck. Props to him. Great result. I can't believe the look of this deck. How the mana ever lines up just blows my mind. I just assume that it doesn't. But how are, how are you winning against hyper-aggressive mono-red decks and like, oh, I sure hope I can play my spells this game because you never know. You just might not be able to play your spells. Yeah. But then you draw your one of Whirler Virtuoso and you get bailed out. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what the plan is here. Yeah. At least Mitch is playing 27 lands. TN's yeah, that's playing nice. 27. And Michael, the other player who uh, did well in Providence, was also playing 27. So I Good mean, to see. That's a start. It's not great, though. No. no. I won't be picking this deck up either. I can promise you that. If you play black-blue mid-range, play that third field of ruin, though. Okay. Pro tip. Pro tip. And Yeheni's expertise into Doomfall is awesome against the green decks and the red decks. Yep, that makes sense. Yeah, that's all I got. Uh, I would also probably only play two copies of the Scarab God, but, you know. Maybe maybe you actually do need to play more because of the closing speed, but even then, it's for the most part, it was like, all right, I play this thing, they remove it, the game continues on. Whereas if I just didn't have that copy of the Scarab God, eventually I would, you know, draw enough cards and create enough of an advantage that their one removal spell would not matter. Or I would just play the Scarab God on nine mana and then their right. removal spell would not matter. So, right. I, I've basically liked two God, two Gearhawk, one Liliana, but whatever. Okay. What do you think you're leaning towards? Uh, I am right now leaning towards red, black. I think I would have to be very disappointed over the next two days to return to turbo fog. I'm happy to have it in my back pocket. It's an archetype I'm comfortable with. I have knowledge of, I know it would be very easy for me to come up with a nice build and have things exactly where I want them to be for certain matchups. But I mean, if people listen to us and pick up a lot of Sorcerer's Spyglass, I don't know. I, I don't want to be drawing to my outs all day. And that's kind of the position you put yourself in because you don't really interact all that much on the stack and you just have to have your artifact removal when Spyglass comes down in, in those key spots. And sometimes you won't find it. So I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I go really hard on artifact removal, find ways to make that work. I would have to look at it. But I'm just hoping that Red Black works out. I like a lot of what you're saying about Karn setups and moving to a place where it feels a little bit more mid-rangey, a little bit less aggro. Uh, I can pretty happily pick up the deck then. Descender's Deliverance is tight. Yeah, it's a good ad for sure. I mean, do you think it's that much better than Forsake the Worldly? Yeah, it's it's way less clunky on both halves and it's not your splash color. Yeah, the splash color stuff, I, I don't buy all that much. You have pretty reliable access to the colors of mana you need that's not the main incentive for me the easy cycle is nice losing the exile doesn't matter all that much missing enchantments uh, that can matter for sure i saw some cast outs that you're happily getting rid of uh i I don't know that it's strictly better or worse i think they both have their spots 
I would probably still lean for sake, but I understand why you're drawn to Dissenter's Deliverance. There was one in my sideboard at one point. I don't know where it went. Just came time to play a tournament and it had gone elsewhere. So I think you dominate decks with cast out anyway. Yeah. I mean, I guess they're all Teferi decks, right? And then they don't have Sorcerer's Spyglass in that case. And you have plans against their counter magic, theoretically, be they a Drakehaven plan or some other way that you're intending to fight that matchup. I, I don't know how I'd go as far as dominate. I think those matchups are close for the most part, but you can set yourself up to be favored and you have multiple ways to attack them, which is always nice. Well, I have faith in you to build a Turbo Fog deck that would actually crush control, at least in a three-game set. Now, whether or not you actually get to play three games, who knows? But That is the question. It's, it's tough to get those games wrapped up in time, for sure. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I think there's probably a little too much wrong with Turbo Fog, and there's not really a whole lot of stuff wrong with Red Black. So. Mm, safer choice, for sure. Yeah, if, if you are trying to win and do not need to conform to any sort of specific thing, like you only own Teferis or you've been playing blue-white control for a year or whatever, then obviously I would recommend red-black. Sounds good. And then there's SCG Baltimore this weekend? There is, yeah, a modern tournament going on. We should definitely touch on that, at least briefly. I, I want to you know, give some tips to people who might be heading to Baltimore. One of my favorite places to play Magic, by the way. I don't know. They have So they have the noodles, right? And the harbor. The harbor's nice. Harbor's nice. Back when I ate meat, there was good crab there. That was always nice. Okay. I remember getting excellent Bloody Marys back when I drank. A lot of things I used to do in Baltimore, which really wouldn't appeal that much to me these days. But yeah, I mean, if those are your things, eating crab and drinking Bloody Marys, thumbs up to Baltimore for sure. Word. Uh, I don't know. I always felt like, you know, DC was a little bit better and... I like the cities like Columbus and Indianapolis a little bit better, but that's just me. I've never been to either of those cities, so I, I can't refute your statement. Oh, man. We got to go to Columbus sometime. Sure. Yeah. Midwest trip. We also have to plan our next Grand Prix trip for spell slinging. We do. And I am excited to do it again. You let me know what we're doing. I'm probably in. I mean, I know we're going to do Portland and Vancouver come to the end of the year, since those are both super close to us. Talking about maybe doing Denver for a little team limited. We'll see what happens. There's there's a few more West Coasters that I definitely want to hit up. And I, I did look at Richmond flights. I think I have ultimately talked myself out of that. But I, I looked at them. All right. Well, we should try and hang out at PAX. I don't think I'll be in Portland because of SCG Con, though. That's right. We have to make decisions as to where we're going. I also will be considering SCG Con, so I don't want to 100% commit as of now, but we'll see. We'll All right. Out. Well, if we're if we're actually going to go to Baltimore and play Magic, sell me on something. Uh, this is going to be a tough sell, but I'm going to try. Is Here's it Tron? What I, it is not Tron. Here is what I would like to sell you on. Do you, sir, have any interest in ad nauseum right now? Have you ever had any interest in ad nauseum is, is maybe a better starting point. So my experience with Ad Nauseum is Jared Betcher claiming that it's the best deck of all time and then finding out that he was just cheating with it. And then Andrew Brown was the only other person I knew who played it and he refused to play anything else and continually overestimated its ability and consistently underperformed with it. <laughs> uh, okay, first of all, 
I have huge issues with this narrative already. At the same Pro Tour that Jared Betcher played Ad Nauseam, I also played Ad Nauseam and did better than him in the constructed portion. I won 8-1-1. One, and one. I promise you I did not cheat. I played completely clean. The deck was fantastic for that Pro Tour. We were the only two people to play it. I won 8-1-1. One, and one. We'll discount his record, but it was good. Probably not legitimate, but good. And it was spot on for that tournament for very specific reasons. And that is that ad nauseum is the best way to target a field that's consisting of linear aggressive decks, decks that just put bodies on the field and attack. Back then it was zoo. Now I would argue it's kind of Vengevine hollow one type stuff. It's very good at targeting control decks because you win at instant speed. A control deck can never tap out against you. So these control decks right now, they're trying to tap out for Jace. They're trying to tap out for Teferi. That's not realistic against Ad Nauseam. You will just lose the game on the spot. And if you are trying to play a long game, Ad Nauseam has tools to set up for that long game. They can do things with Baseju. They can get multiple pact negations in hand. The sideboard often has copies of Mystical Teachings. I like a copy of Silence myself to put another spell that's one mana that must be countered. So there's a lot of really good plans against control decks. And finally, there's the Tron matchup, which is just breezy. I mean, they really don't have any ways of interacting with you that matter whatsoever. You're a huge favorite in Tron. And laying that out, that's a huge portion of the top of the metagame. Do you you want to guess what the problem is, though? I agree with all of that stuff, all these things you said. Uh, Looking at the top decks in modern right now on Goldfish, I agree that you have a lot of good matchups. The question mark is the most popular deck, which is Humans, which seems horrendous. There you go. That is the issue. Humans remains the issue. I think that people have worked very hard on sideboard plans to get things to a place where they're tenable. I am not going to try and convince you that you're anywhere near favorite against humans. You are not. You are an underdog to humans. But humans, as the most popular deck in the format, take up about 10% of the metagame, which means if you're going to go play the, whatever it is, is it 15 rounds at the SCG? Yep. If you're going to go play the 15 rounds of SCG, you should face it 1.5 times. And obviously, winner's metagame changes that up a little bit, and there's other things to kind of parse, but... I don't think that taking a deck that has a bad humans matchup into a modern tournament is necessarily a death sentence if you can post positive matchups against the rest of the field. And also, it's not like you're just scooping to humans anymore. You have Bantu's Last Reckoning out of the sideboard. You usually have a copy of Supreme Verdict. The decks play Fatal Push to just have some spot removal and be able to deal with uh, Thalia's. And I think Slaughter Pact belongs in the main deck as well. That's a completely defensible card to play. So you're not cold. Your matchup isn't good, but you're not cold. And I think given all those things, I could very happily register Ad Nauseam this weekend. You know, this is this might be one of those times where I kind of actually agree with you. I've, I just want to stop the podcast right now. That's it. I know. I, I was, I've I actually say- convinced you of a fringy deck that you're saying you would be willing to play. I was going to say, there's no way for you to frame this, right? Right. I, I, I would love anything to just relive this moment in perpetuity. Maybe I'll just make a loop of this and it'll be like my ringtone. And I guess we don't really do ringtones anymore. That's kind of a 10 years ago type thing. But whatever <laughs> ways for me to integrate this audio into my life, I'm going to look to do so. This can be your alarm clock in the morning. Great. Ryan, I, would, I would love to wake up to this. Ryan, you're right. <laughs> Ryan, you're right.
That is the greatest alarm clock I've ever heard. No, I, I am at a loss right now. So I, I sold you. That's it. Where does the discussion go from here? This has never happened before. I would either play Vengevine, uh, maybe a more aggressive version of Mardu, but I could definitely see taking the hard read and, and just playing ad nauseum. And this is also one of the decks where I didn't have basically any of the cards for it because they're all just random crappy cards, right? And I actually started ordering them. So I'm I'm not really short a lot of stuff for this deck except for like the actual ad nauseums and angel graces. Well, I have them to lend to you if you ever need them and I'm not using my ad nauseum deck. So please just ask. Maybe I'll even go play a little modern with this tomorrow night. I, I might just want to sleeve this up. I'm free tomorrow, actually. Cedric just gave me the week off, so... Okay, so l- let's go. Let's go to Mox tomorrow. I will play Ad Nauseum. I don't have enough for two copies. You're going to have to scrounge no, up some of these other cards. I will. I'll play Vengevine or something. Okay. Okay. And I can report on Ad Nauseum. Uh, please, if you are going to pick up Ad Nauseum, do not play Spoils of the Vault. That card is not playable. I don't know how people have talked themselves into it. I don't think you need like the lab maniac kill. It's just unnecessary. I'm a, a lightning storm conjurer's bauble kind of guy. And that's it. That's all. That's the way I'm looking to win my games. I have peer through depths as an additional search engine, a sideboard mystical teachings, but none of that spoils nonsense. You do not need it. It's a, it's a complete trap. I mean, it only kills you like 11% of the time. Or that is too high of a percentage of the time to lose <laughs> the game to a mediocre tutor that can also leave you in a very difficult spot. I have never understood it. And I I hope that time will eventually prove me right on this. And when ad nauseum returns to the metagame, it does so without that silly, silly card. Like, spoils is fine if you have an unlife or an angel's grace and an extra mana, right? Right, obviously. But you could be in a good spot already if that's the case. It's just... People are setting up like you're this hyper linear, no long game combo deck. Like if I don't have it on turn three or four, there's nothing I can do. That's not true. You're very comfortable playing a longer game with ad nauseum and and getting yourself to a place where you can just set up inevitability. Essentially, you find appropriate amounts of pact of negations or you force them to somehow do something. If, If they do anything, you can just win the game on the spot. It's such a powerful tool to have against control decks. Yeah, you just have a bunch of fogs too. I mean, one of the somewhat recent changes, and by somewhat recent in modern terms, I mean within the last year or two, was these decks just going up to four copies of Phyrexian on life. Right, and I do think that's correct. I used to play three a long time ago, but it's just like max out on your combo pieces. Give yourself the most ways to win the game possible and just realize it's a valuable card when people are attacking your life total. Yeah, it's just a good defensive tool. Yeah, so yeah, I'm in. I, I feel like this deck is legit, but humans is obviously a problem. I like the idea of a slaughter packed main. My sideboard would probably have two fatal push and some combination of like Bontu Supreme Verdict. I saw one of the lists had a settle the wreckage. I I definitely don't want to go all in on having them all be the same name, even though Bontu's is the cleanest. Right. You need to diversify. Yeah. So maybe it's two Bontu's and one verdict. Maybe that's clean enough. That is where I'm at currently. Uh, We'll see how time affects that. But I I agree with that for the time being. I guess one of the other things that kind of weighted me against this deck was the fact that Andrew Brown always played Dromoka, like lots of Dromokas, and he sided them in against everyone. I'm I'm struck right now. That was his plan against what? Like aggressive 
linear decks that you're already a huge favorite against or and, and yeah and control which you're also a huge favorite against i don't know man right i, I mean i guess I, that, that was his jund plan even though you need Leyline to counteract liliana and then they just board back in their terminates and destroy you well i get his desperation there because that matchup is abysmal if there's any reasonable amounts of liliana based mid-range decks you cannot play ad nauseum and essentially post my good pro tour performance with this deck. That's what happened is John became, it just took over the format. It was everywhere. And so this deck became a miserable choice, but as long as Liliana is not a big part of the metagame, there's no real Liliana thoughts. These deck right now, you could very happily play this. Yeah, I could totally see that. What about, what about humans? Is humans actually playable? Yeah. Humans is great. I, I think it's a fine choice. I think you should play militia bugler and, and be happy about it and not stick to some kind of bizarre, life grudge against militia bugler and and benefit from its greatness not talking about anyone in particular or anything just yeah uh, just spitballing oh man i'm looking at modern uh magic online deck lists and i came across obviously one of these rancid looking blue white control lists and just like oh maybe i want to punish myself maybe i should actually just build this i would like to watch that just for the value of seeing you suffer there with all these uncastable spells in your hand. And I'm sure the sheer look of disgust that would creep onto your face after a few rounds of blue-white control. Yeah, it would be a lot of fun for everyone. For me, definitely. All right, that's game. Good luck.